Please be seated. I'd like to ask you to turn in a Bible now in the New Testament to the letter of 1 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians. The New Testament is arranged where you have uh, four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the book of Acts, which is the second volume of the gospel of Luke. And then we come to the letters of the Apostle Paul, and they are arranged according to length. And so Romans comes first, and then comes 1 Corinthians. And I'd like to ask you to turn to chapter 13 there, 1 Corinthians 13. This is the second of three sermons I plan to preach from this chapter. I'd like to begin reading in verse 27 of chapter 12, because the context of this chapter about love, that many people that never read the Bible, they're familiar with this chapter. The context is disunity within the church. Often uh, the the chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, is thought of as just kind of a poetic love description, maybe like for uh, uh, a man and woman, you know, a romantic kind of thing. You can go in these places and there'll be a poster and this this uh, silhouette of this couple at the beach, and then there's 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, The problem is that was not the context it was given. Uh, It's got application there, but there was fighting in a church, in the Corinthian church, and so he talks, Paul talks about love and the need for that to bring unity. Uh, It's over the issue of spiritual gifts, and that's why I want to begin reading in verse 27 of chapter 12. Hear God's word. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. In all, and in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Now he's going to ask several rhetorical questions, all of which have the answer no. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But eagerly desire the greater gifts, and now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing." If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. 
Join me, if you will, for a word of prayer. Our Father, we, we pray, since you are the author of love and you are described as love, we ask you might give us understanding of the gospel application to our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. I heard a very seasoned, mature pastor that he had said, most churches are hanging on by a thread, and it's a real short thread. There can be conflict and problems that can seemingly come out of nowhere. And it can be spiritual problems, it can be from jealousy, it can be logistical problems, it can be false teaching, it can be strong-willed people that are involved, it can be habitual sin that is ignored. We tend to glamorize the churches of the New Testament times as though they were more holy and more pure and more committed to Christ than we are today, but that just is not the case. Almost all of the New Testament letters were written to specific churches, like this one in Corinth. And they almost, in every case, were dealing with problems specific to that church. In Corinth, they had great problems. There was uh, with idolatry, with uh, with temple prostitution, with uh, fornication and immorality going on among the members, uh, with jealousy and spiritual giftedness that was supposed to bring unity being cause for dissension. Among other problems, there were lots of those. So Paul, in addressing those problems, talks to them about what real love is. Because if real love is present, then that solves most of the problems that we run into with disunity. So he began the chapter, we looked at this last week, saying that love should be our chief aim because it's the only thing that counts, that will last. He says if there are gifts of tongues without love, That is nothing, like a noisy symbol. If there's knowledge without love, that is nothing. If there's faith without love, that is nothing. If there's generosity and even uh, giving away everything you have, great benevolence without love, that is nothing. Even martyrdom, giving your body, dying for the cause of the gospel without love is nothing. And so beginning in verses 4 and 5, we have the fullest description of love in the Bible. It is not... A definition of which I'm thankful. It's not a definition of love. Sometimes you can destroy something with a definition. For example, let's say I take my wife, Barbara, a rose, a beautiful rose that comes out of Eddie Hutchpeth's garden or something like that, and I take it to her at the right time of the year, and it's just beautiful. I mean, it's everything a rose should be. And she says, Chip, what is that? Oh, you want to know what it is? Here, I'll give you Webster's Dictionary, uh, his definition. It's any of a genus of usually prickly shrubs with leaves and showy flowers having five petals in the wild, but often double or semi-double under cultivation. Now, that's the definition of a rose. That's wonderful. Took your breath away, didn't it? And so the description, what we have here is not a definition of love, which can be very stale, But we have a description of love in action and what it should look like. Remember the context is to build unity because there was great fighting and disunity there in the church. So let's just briefly today look at some of of the qualities of real love and Lord willing continue next week. And primarily we have these in verses 4 to 7. First of all it says love is patient. It means an infinite capacity to endure. If you are showing love to another person it means you will be patient with that person. Well, where does patience typically show itself? In trying situations, during difficulties, arguments, slander, disagreements. 
Manfred Guski said to be long-suffering, you have first to be long-bothered. Something must be annoying you for you to show patience if you're bothered by something or someone, some disagreement with another person. Love is putting up with someone else's ways that irritate you, and it's slowness to be resentful. It is forgiving. Seventy times seven, when Peter came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 18, he said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? He was wanting a definite answer so that he would know when he met the quota. And he says, up to seven times? Is seven enough? And Jesus said, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Now, this does not include the toleration of evil. Some might say, well, there's great sin and evil going on, but I've just got to be patient in what's happening with this person. No, there's a limit to patience. Christ cleansed the temple, said it was to be a house of prayer, but they had made it a robber's den. When the money changers had just changed the temple into a place of commerce, then he runs them out. There was no patience, you might say, in that situation. Uh, When David went out to fight Goliath, He said, somebody's got to do something about this. He's coming down and he's insulting the armies of God. He's challenging the armies of God. That was not a time for patience at that point. It was a time for action. I knew a college student that had a friend that had gotten married. Uh, A girlfriend of hers had married a guy. And the guy that this girlfriend married started calling my friend, the student, the single student. And it wasn't just to ask for information. He was making advances toward her this newly married guy. And she talked to me and a friend of mine who was a counselor, and the counselor, she said, what do I do? I can't get him to quit calling. He said, I'll tell you what to do, the counselor said. Next time he calls, you tell him, you call me again, and I'm telling your wife. He said, he won't call you again after that, and he didn't. So there's a point where patience is not to tolerate sin. Love is kind, it goes on to say, sensitive. It's willing to get involved at our own cost like the Good Samaritan was willing at his own cost and his own risk to become involved with a person who was a a racial enemy of his day. Love is kind like that. Love does not envy, it says. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, who was uh, the colonial preacher and intellect and many, many people, believers and unbelievers alike, say he was one of the greatest intellects to come out of America. And uh, he wrote a book about that thick, It's a great book called Charity and Its Fruits. It's essentially an exposition of this chapter, and I was reading some of it this week. The last chapter, a very short chapter, is called Heaven, a World of Love, where he describes that heaven itself will be the place of perfect love. Everything we read in this chapter will be fulfilled in heaven. Uh, But he describes envy as this, and I like this. Envy may be defined to be a spirit of dissatisfaction with in opposition to the prosperity and happiness of others as compared with our own. Envy is when we see the prosperity or happiness or blessing or whatever on another person that we think ought to be ours, and we become envious. And all of us have the great capacity to envy on a thousand different levels, whether it's recognition or the health another person has. Here you are, you exercise, you try to eat right, you try to take care of yourself, you stay sick all the time, and here's a person, your friend, who abuses their body in every sense of the word, and they never get sick. 
Here's some Christian parents that listen to James Dobson and do everything that he says, and they raise their children the way they think they ought to in church. The kids grow up, and from, as young adults, from all indication, they could care less about God. And here's their pagan uh, cousin who never goes to church, never gives lip service to God, raises their children, and they love Christ. And you say, what's wrong? Why did that happen? And there's envy. In one of his books, Steve Farrar describes how much, an adver- um, how much of advertising targets the emotion of envy. And he writes, and I just paraphrased it here, he said, You were fine until you picked up the magazine. Sure, your kitchen is outdated and the deck behind your house has seen its better days, but it's fine. It's fine until you picked up the magazine. And then you begin to look at some outdated kitchens, uh, some updated kitchens and updated decks, and before you know it, you feel like your kitchen is not fit for a dog, and the deck behind your house would not even make suitable firewood. And he said, what's the name of the magazine? What is it? Homes and Gardens, right? Homes and Gardens, is that the name? No, what's the name? Better Homes and Gardens. Better than whose? Better than yours. The Bible's filled with examples of the disastrous effect jealousy and envy have on personal relationships. Cain envied his brother Abel and murdered him. Joseph's brothers were envious of the favoritism their father showed to their younger brother. They sold him into slavery. Saul was the first king of Israel. God had appointed him to that position. He started strong, but then he compromised and he finished awful. And God raised up a youngster named David who would follow Uh, who would succeed Saul as the king. And this is one of my favorite places in the Bible, but I rarely hear anyone mention it. It's after David went out and killed Goliath. When Saul honors David and they bring him back into town, there's a song that was sung. Do you remember? I don't like country music, but I have a feeling this one sounded country in Israel. And it probably went, "Mm, Saul has killed his thousands, but David's killed his ten thousands or something. It was on the radio, and Saul was burned up. And it said from that point on, he looked with jealousy at David. Envy is always destructive. The Corinthian church had jealousy in their midst. They were jealous over one another's gifts. You know, I I can understand. I know what it's like to finish a sermon and be met at the door by one of you well-intentioned persons who say, Chip, hey, thanks for that sermon on 1 Corinthians 13. Hey, look, here's a Tim Keller tape. He'll really show you how to preach it, okay? (laughs) Or someone else. Love does not boast or brag and is not proud or arrogant. Love is not trying to impress. Um... It is not using your spiritual gifts, as was happening in Corinth, with the intention of drawing uh, attention to yourself. Uh, That is only the manifestation of pride and self-centeredness. Love does not act unbecomingly. It is not rude. If, If you love someone, you will not act disgracefully or dishonorably. Love shows tact and sensitivity. Now I know that manners and decorum change from ages and places and cultures. I'm always careful on cross-cultural mission trips with gestures. You know, you're waving to somebody and before you know it, you've threatened their life. You don't even realize it. Or in certain cultures, you don't address the wife of a couple. You only address the husband. So there's proper decorum that varies from place to place. What Paul is addressing here is treat people correctly. And I think we find an example in 1 Timothy 5. He talks about 
to Timothy, who was about 30 years old. You know, Timothy was about 30 years old when Paul wrote to him and said, let no one look down on your youthfulness. But he said, do not rebuke an older man harshly. Timothy, Chip, you, anyone, if you are in a position where you have to confront an older man in the church, it's not the time to be harsh. You treat him like a father. You do it with respect. You treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with absolute purity. So how should you relate Christian guys, young men that are here, single, with, with other single young women? Treat them as Christian sisters. Y'all know Hal Farnsworth, the pastor at Redeemer in Athens, when his son Ben, who's about huge, he's about the size of that organ pipe thing back there, when his sister was in high school, Ben, ben went to a guy that had asked her to go to a high school dance, and he went up to him and he said, you do anything to disrespect my sister and I'll, and I'll uh, you'll know about it. And he walked away, and then he turned around and went back to the car, and he got in the guy's face, and he said, no, I want to add something. You've mistreated my sister, and I'll break every bone in your body. (laughs) Now, my point is, what is my point? We're to deal with one another as sisters. You deal with a Christian woman, how you treat that person, how you speak to that person. So there's a proper decorum, and that's that's loving. Love is not self-seeking. It is not self-centered. It does not insist on its own way. Regardless of, of the argument, so much of disunity in churches... In this church, other churches, when it happens, whether it's small or large, I think more often than not, at the root of it is us saying, my opinion is all that matters. I want